This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we've got Taylor Punch on here, and he's going to tell us all about how he's involved with real estate investing in the Austin area and what he's doing here right now. Hey, Taylor, how are you? Hey, Jordan. Doing well. Good to, good to catch up and chat with you. I'm an open book, so uh, I'm, looking, I'm also a fan of the podcast, too, so I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, really exciting. I know... We just closed on a duplex for you here in Austin, not so recently. Well, was it two months ago now? Three months ago? We're going on. Yeah, it's a little over three months. Yeah. Yeah. And randomly, one closed down the street at a much higher price than we bought for, which is great for you because it's the exact same floor plan. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be cool to have you on and talk real estate investing in Austin and really what you're doing, where you're doing it. So real quick, tell us who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing in the Austin area. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so my name's Taylor. I'm, from, I'm actually originally from Roswell, New Mexico. That's where I grew up. That's where kind of the, the at least the immediate family is. Um, I told myself growing up, I got to get out of New Mexico, and I really didn't. I mean, I guess I did. I went to Lubbock um, oh, wow. for school, for college which is just right across the, the Texas, you know, New Mexico, Texas border there. But yeah, I went to school there and moved to Dallas um, and eventually made my, uh, made my way into the, into the software sales world. So um, that, that's what I do full time. And then somewhere in between um, really, really less than a couple of years ago, I wanted to get into real estate investing. I mean, I had experience with, you know, more of the traditional, you know, index funds, stocks, all, all of those things, but I wanted to be a little more diversified. And I'll be honest, I also viewed real estate as kind of this black box that it's like, Hey, what about real estate? I'm just like, no, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't touch that. I don't, I don't really know anything about that. And it's just, uh, it, it felt a little daunting, but also it felt like something, um, it felt like an opportunity to challenge myself and learn. And so really heading into like last year, um, I was eager to get into real estate investing, which is easier said than done, uh, for someone who knew absolutely nothing about real estate investing, to be honest. Um, so, I mean, what, what I did last year was, um, listen to a whole lot of bigger pockets, um, which is actually eventually how I found you. Um, and I also, you know, I, I had a friend that I went to college with a really close friend who was also kind of thinking the same thing. He, he grew up in Lubbock and that's where we started. We kind of put our heads together and said, well, what if we started by partnering up on this to help de-risk the first one? Right. Cause I just, you know, I feel like the easiest thing in real estate is to just not do it mm -hmm. just to not start. Um, so he was so intimately familiar with Lubbock. We were, we started to learn how to, look at deals and we would just literally run the numbers on deals after I figured out how to do it. 
through, uh, through bigger pockets. I mean, we just run numbers on deals all the time. And then, yeah, we decided we kind of wanted to pull the trigger and we went and found a realtor, uh, through his connections. He had, he knew some contractors and things like that. So there was a unique, unique opportunity to partner up on that. Um, that's, that's what God has in is we bought a little single family home. It's a college rental. Um, we managed to not completely screw that up. And, uh, I had the itch to, to do more. I mean, my, my goal last year was just get in, just get one. Mm-hmm. And then we got one like by April or May. And the next thing I knew I had some land. And then I also had technically this, this house hack closed end of December. So I ended up buying three. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. That's awesome. So uh, I, I love partnerships, especially when they're strategic, strategically, the partnerships make a lot of sense of, Hey, you know, here, here, you know, this, I know this really well, let's partner up together and use both of our strengths to help us go a lot farther. So I'm going to butcher this saying, but it's, if you want to, well, maybe I'm not, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I found that same thing to be true with partnerships is I can get things done a lot faster on my own. I can make decisions without consulting anybody and I can just go. But when you set up a partnership, right, you can go fast and you can also go really far. Um, yeah. So you have the single family college rental that's in Lubbock. That's in Lubbock. Yep. Awesome. How is, how do the numbers look on that one? And, uh, are you only rented for the semesters or what are you doing for the summer there? Yeah, it's interesting. So we bought it. Um, I think we closed on it around May timeframe. It needed a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we were very specific in what I mean, we had talked about it so much and looked at so many houses and areas that we knew kind of exactly what we wanted so that we were ready to kind of strike, but we were really looking for, you know, like a, so, I mean, a, a lot of college markets I've noticed they rent kind of by the room. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, man, if we could find a three bed with like an extra room or something that we could just turn into a fourth bedroom um, and create some value add that way, that made the num- numbers a lot more attractive. Mm-hmm. And we were also just, we were able to convert a, an existing laundry room into a second bathroom, um, just using the existing space, which just not only helped us get a little bit more rent, but also just immediately allowed us to force some appreciation into the, into the house. Um, yeah. So, but we did that by the time we were done, it was sort of into the semester. I mean, it was kind of in no man's land. It was like, I think we were looking for tenants in August or September, which is kind of right after you just missed it um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the student housing. Um, but what we did to sort of mitigate that at least, you know, in, in the longer term is, is to just do a nine month lease, which puts us right back in kind of the slot um, where all the renters are looking this summer. Um, so we're still waiting to hear back on if our existing tenants want to renew or not, but that's, um, that's the way we kind of navigated that. Nice. And you, you mentioned you also had some land to tell us a little bit about that, where it is. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge golfer. My, my, my family is, is full of golfers. Uh, and I travel a lot and play, uh, a lot of golf, but not enough golf by, by my standards. Um, I was up in Wisconsin and, um, 
there's some really, really great golf. And, and more importantly, there's a brand new kind of global golf destination that's being built up there. Um, and we were up there and I got a little intel around the expansion plans of that place. And the land is a little limited around there, specifically around the golf course. So, I mean, right, right next to it, they've got a ton of tourist traffic, a lot of, it's not far from Chicago, um, really a nice location for someone you know, that needed a summer home or something like that. But there's a little uh, golf course right there, basically across the street where there was some land that was for sale. Most of it had been built on already. So it's, it's pretty limited, but I came across one just a, basically a half acre that was available really prime kind of right on the green. And I felt that there was a near-term catalyst with some of this resort, you know, summer travel activity. Um, and then also sort of a supply and demand issue that I saw that was being created there and land up there, man, is still just like super, I was almost kind of shocked by how cheap it was. Yeah. Um, so that, that was it, man. I just, I, I just bought it. I mean, it was right there. I just felt like it was one of those opportunities where, you know, th I think there's a lot of flexibility with it. Sure. I could use it and just hang on to it as kind of a speculative investment or offloaded at some point, but it's also like, man, I'm a huge golfer. And maybe I want to just eventually build on that thing, um, cool. and have a little summer home up there. So I don't know. Nice. So it's, it's just sitting vacant right now and you're not know what to do with it. It is. Yeah, and I've already gotten some phone calls on it, which is pretty funny. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's awesome, man. So really quick, tell us why did you choose to move to Austin? Obviously, you lived in Lubbock, you lived in New Mexico, you lived in Dallas. When I met you, you were in Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, why the move to Austin? And then why did you venture into house hacking in Austin? Yeah, I was renting in Dallas. My company has a little office there. Um, I'm technically remote. I mean, and I, I kind of sell, I mean, my customer base for what I do is, is really across Texas. And so um, I love the idea about being more central in the state. Candidly, I also love Austin. Mm -hmm. um, so, so both of those lined up. Um, and I, I, I like the accessibility across the state. Um, I've got friends in San Antonio and here, um, things like that. And it, it felt like being central also gave me access from a forward looking real estate perspective to maybe get into San Antonio or, you know, some of these surrounding areas. Um, and actually you have access and be able to get there, um, to, 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 to buy or, you know, to, 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 to do whatever. Um, so that, that was sort of it. And candidly, I was also tired of renting. I mean, I had the real estate book, man. After I bought that rental in Lubbock, I was like, okay, how do, what, what's next? So we bought one that was mostly rehab. We did a couple things, but it was a pretty light rehab. Now I'm going, okay, what if I did this, um, you know, this bird thing or this house hacking thing. And I bought one maybe that needed a little bit of work that felt like the next challenge for me was to take on something like a more of a value add opportunity. Whenever I found you, um, I was actually sort of dead set on buying a house. I was like, I just want a house in South Austin or something like that. We had a couple of conversations and I listened to a little more yep. bigger pockets and I was like, you know what? A duplex is literally not 
You know, I, th- I think the people have this, vi- you know, this view of like living in a duplex where it's like, I'm going to hear my neighbor all the time and it's going to be terrible. And I'm living in a duplex. It's like, I, li- I lived in an apartment in Dallas where I shared two walls. This is actually better because I'm yeah. sharing one wall. It's like literally better than the, the, my, how, you know, where I was living in Dallas. And I had this warped view on it. Um, anyways, yeah, I flipped my mindset to, okay, I'm going to go get a duplex and, uh, you and I went and found one. Yeah, no, I hear that from so many people too of, Hey, you know, I just don't want to live in a duplex. I'm trying to upgrade or whatever it is. Uh, I've lived in, in multiple different kinds of duplexes, but most of the duplexes, I would say 97% of the duplexes you find in Austin are side by side. So mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying, you're sharing one wall with them and they're not on top of you or below you. That's where you usually run into issues when there's a, an upper and lower tenant. Right. Sometimes you'll hear them. You really, I've lived in those. You don't hear a lot. You might hear footsteps. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of weird depending on what time of day it is. But yeah, we, this side-by-side duplex, any, none of the side-by-side duplexes I've lived in have I been easily able to hear my neighbors. Of course, if they drag furniture or chair, I might hear that, but it's, you're not going to hear a lot. And it's really yeah. like living in a townhome. People that's exactly what you told me. And I was like, yeah. wait a second. And then you come in like tour some of these properties. And I mean, having lived here, it is, it's exactly what it's like. It's like a big townhome and I've got a nice yard and everything. I mean, it's way better than, than renting an apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's, it's such a missed opportunity for your first couple houses, make them duplexes and yeah. and build these great assets off of it. And if you, even if you just do that one time, let's say you live in this one for a year and then you move on to a single family house in South Austin, like we initially talked about, you've got a great asset that yours in particular worked out really, really well. Um, but you've got a great asset that's making you money. It's appreciating that, that yours is appreciated very quickly. and. We'll talk about that in a second. I just want to a quick, quick disclaimer. I don't know that everybody can expect what's happened to Taylor to happen to them. It's just worked out so well. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, you, you buy something, you fix it up, you make it nicer. It's instantly worth so much more. And then you can move on to the single family. You've got this asset. We probably made 100000 plus in the first couple of years. And you got some cash flow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, exactly. Such a powerful strategy. There's a reason I can't give it up so easy. Yeah. Well, plus you get, I mean, we, you know, I, we, we ran the numbers and talked through how do I maximize kind of the ROI around this? You can get very creative. I mean, I ended up furnishing the other side and, um, it's basically doing like medium term rental. I mean, it's on Airbnb is kind of a, um, you know, one month minimum stay and just the, I felt that the ROI was so much higher around furnishing it and then kind of going monthly versus kind of the old school long-term lease strategy. Yeah. And I think that speaks to just where we are in Austin home price appreciation. has just been wild. Yeah. Rent appreciation is we, we've had a, a huge increase in rents in the last 10 years, but hasn't caught up with home price appreciation or it hasn't kept pace with home price appreciation. So your rents are still what feels like a lot lower than 
the prices. So, I mean, really, when you're doing something like what you're doing with monthly rentals, you're, you're keeping up neck and neck with prices versus home price, sorry, rent versus home price appreciation. Yeah, exactly. And that's really what makes real estate. I mean, even just a couple years in, I'm just now starting to realize how powerful it's like, man, like for example, with house hacking, if you can find a way to cover your mortgage, you know, you're, you're controlling, you're controlling. I just don't know how else you can control 250,000, 500,000, a $750,000 asset for, and, and I mean, basically for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just don't know how else you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Such powerful loans, those FHA loans, stuff like that. You know, you get in for next to nothing and you can, you can arrange it. So you live for next to nothing too, which is so yeah. powerful. Right. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, how you got into real estate investing. Do you remember what triggered you to be interested in real estate investing? Was there a certain book or was it a podcast? I know you listen to bigger pockets a lot, but was there something that happened where you said, Oh, I got to look at real estate. That's a good question. Yeah. I, 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 I came across bigger pockets and I can't remember how, um, that really piqued my interest. I mean, I got pretty addicted to some of those podcasts. There's so much great content but also just kind of in, in my circles and just, you know, talking to colleagues and friends who, who own real estate and had Airbnbs or had rentals. Again, it just felt like this, this black box or this portal that was right in front of me that I kind of refused to walk through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think just the lear- learning through, through bigger pockets and some of the resources that exist help sort of lower that barrier. You know, you just, you feel like it's overwhelming and it's just so much to learn. There's so much risk and you know, it's really not, it's, it's not as, as daunting as it sounds. And um, yeah. And then just, just doing it. It's like I said, just inaction is just the easiest way and just not doing anything. Um, but I, I would have rather just, tried my best, bought something, and maybe it wasn't the best deal in the world for my first one, then to just not do anything. I mean, I was just ready to learn. Yeah, no, I, I like what you said there that not doing something, it, it, it feels easy and it feels like it's the right thing to do sometimes. But and I think especially right now with where prices have come in the last couple of years, it's easy for people to say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm going to wait until there's a crash. or I'm going to wait until this and that. In reality, we've had just a, a, not even a handful of real estate-related crashes. Uh, but by my count, we've had three in the last 100 years. And the likelihood of that happening again anytime soon is, we don't know, but probably not that high. Right. At the same time, you need to look at the risk and really weigh what the risk is. What is the risk? You you get a 30 year fixed rate mortgage on an FHA loan or something like what you've taken out. They're underwriting you to make sure that you can pay this mortgage. And all you have to do, the real estate is really simple. So you buy a house, you fix house, you rent house, really easy. So you buy a house, the lenders underwritten you, 
They're making sure you can pay this mortgage. Of course, they're including 70% of the, the rent from the other side on a duplex, but they're making sure that you can cover the mortgage. Then you need to fix a house up. I talk to a lot of people and say, oh, I don't know anything about fixing houses up. That's great because you don't have to do any of it. You know, you can hire people yeah. that are professionals to yeah. do this stuff. And you get recommendations from people that have done it before and use these people. And you get references from those people and you can really figure it out pretty quickly. This is going to be a good guy and this is going to be smooth if you put in the homework. And then you rent it out, especially in a state like Texas, where they have very landlord-friendly laws, you're protected. I, I hear a lot of the time, well, what if my tenant doesn't pay rent? Well, in Texas, you give them three days notice you know, to pay or vacate, and then you start the eviction process. Right. It's really simple. You know, there really isn't too much risk. Um, yeah. You can, you can over leverage yourself or you can get in over your head, but just starting out buying your first couple rental properties on conventional loans, there's really a very, very little risk. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you're right about how, I mean, I, I've learned quickly real estate is such a, a networking game and, and, um, just building a team and a community, um, yeah. I mean, first of all, having, you know, finding a really good and capable realtor, that was important to me, especially someone with investing experience. Right. I mean, that's why I just, I would, I would just go browse around the bigger pockets forums to see yeah. you know, who's active, who, who's, uh, who kind of gets it, who owns property. And, and, um, you know, that's kind of the first step, then, then your lender. And it's like through, through, through a lot of that, you're going to, you're going to capture so many connections and get so many great recommendations that can help sort of lower some of the risk around, around those factors. Mm -hmm. And then I really, I really liked, um, when I mean, you talk about risk and leverage, I mean, in some of these hot markets, sometimes the most risky thing is to go chase some of these hot listings that are already remodeled. And I mean, I definitely, you know, I definitely dealt with this. I kind of went back and forth on, do I want to buy something that's already fixed? Uh, but those are a lot of the listings, man, that can get out of control. And it's like, do you overpay a little bit? And then you don't, you know, you're not really capturing the equity through doing the work. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, now looking back, I mean, not only because it was a good learning experience, but also just financially um, having bought a little bit of a, a you know, a fixer upper a cosmetic rehab, was a great decision because you get to learn a lot about, about rehab, about renovations, and you also get to capture a little bit of equity along the way and just some additional value. Um, yeah. So I learned a lot through that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into, uh, we won't talk about exactly where yours is unless, unless you want to talk about it, but just what happened with the duplex that you bought and why I'm an idiot also. So we'll talk about two things here. I'll explain me being an what? idiot. I'll explain, I'll explain the second part here in a second. So. Um, oh, I know. All right. The, yeah, keep the, going. The duplex we buy, we, we got for a price that we, we thought was okay. And, you know, we were able to put the, the money into it and, it and the numbers worked out after rehab. Um, but it didn't look the best right off the bat. I'll, uh, I'll say that. Nope. Also, there was another duplex on this exact same street, one house over, owned by the same owner. So 
Taylor had put an offer on the duplex that, that he owns. I put an offer on this other duplex. I got a, a small counter and it was a very small counter. Uh, I didn't accept the counter because I said, hey, well, you know, the numbers, they look pretty good, but they're not amazing and it's kind of tight and I don't really have all the money right now and I might have to find a partner and blah, 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 all the stuff we always tell ourselves when in reality, there's easy solutions to these problems. All I had to do was find a partner. I know tons of people that are interested in investing in real estate. I've done this before. I didn't even ask my current business partner if he might be interested in investing in this duplex. So it was a really easy situation to overcome for myself. But back to Taylor's. Um, we bought it low fives, Taylor, like 509. Mm -hmm. 515, yeah. 515, something like that. 525, Well, actually, well, then we got some stuff back from the mm -hmm. seller and stuff, but yeah. Closing costs, yeah. So, you know, we bought it 525. Um, it needed a little bit of rehab. So it was going to be an, an okay deal. Little did we know, several months later, a property on the street went up for, I want to say, 600. And just recently, the exact same duplex, like it's the exact same floor, floor plan. It's a mirror image of the one Taylor owns and the one I passed on just a couple houses down. It just sold for $700,000. So that worked out really, really well for Taylor. Why I'm an idiot is because <laughs> I, I over, overlooked that I could really easily fix my objections and my problems and passed on that duplex. And you know what? When I passed on it, I felt really good about it at the time. I'm like, you know, I, I really made the right decision. I would have been stretching a little too thin. I would have had to maybe find partners. I, I don't have time for this right now. Every excuse that we tell ourselves in the book, you know, I, I told myself and I felt good about it. Um, and I felt good about it until that one got listed for 600. I know the agent, he said, hey, we've got offers way over this and i know because we actually offered on it for another client it closed for 700 now i feel like an idiot and and the, the cash flow was there too like it would have been great with monthly rentals mm -hmm. um i don't have any good reason that i didn't buy that well, i'm not gonna let you so i'm not gonna let you beat yourself up on that because i will say this hey guys this is jordan moorhead here and i wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me if you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. This thing, and that's what's really interesting about the MLS, it had come available. There was two, like you said, mm -hmm. um, that came available at the same time from the same seller. Mm -hmm. The listing was, I will say, far from great. And of course, the property, like you said, did not look great, which is giving it a little too much credit. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty rough, especially kind of on the outside, not the most aesthetically pleasing listing, but they had been very lazy about the listing. I mean, some of the photos, the, yeah. there is there basically no photos. Yep. It was just like somebody drove by in a car going 20 miles an hour and just took a photo <laughs> on their cell phone and uploaded it to the, to the MLS. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, it wasn't really even on my radar. Um, and you had said, well, this one looks interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to go look at it. Uh, and you went up and found it and of course toured it and 
um, little bit of a, a hidden gem as you kind of kind of walk through is basically exactly what I wanted. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's for a lot of people. So actually every listing that I've purchased off of the MLS has had terrible pictures. Yeah. Um, and that's really a key is if, if for me as a listing agent, when I'm selling a property, my goal is to make the online presentation look as good as possible so that it draws a large crowd to come want to see the property, want to offer on it. When there is not great pictures, of course, when you're looking at it online, you say, hey, I, this doesn't look very good. I don't know if I want to go check it out. It's not yeah. worth my time. It's Sunday. I've got other stuff to do. I want to go play golf. Um, and then you don't go look. Those are absolutely the ones that you need to go look at right away. And I knew that right when I saw this one pop up. I said, man, there's like two pictures. Yeah. They're, like you said, they're not very good. Um, I love that area. Absolutely a big fan of that area. So I mo just out of curiosity, I've said, hey, I, I have to go look. And right. I, know, I know that when you see... Um, trying to find a nice way to say this, not a very good listing, but a lot of times there's a hidden gem there. So for everybody listening, when you're, when you're looking for properties and they don't just jump out at you with a great listing package, don't overlook them because just because they're not sold to you very well doesn't mean they might not be a great deal. Take advantage of the fact that somebody didn't put a lot of work into selling you this property that's where you make a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what you'd been telling me too. I'm just like, man, these listings are so hot. I mean, Austin's one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. And, mm -hmm. you know, especially some of these ones that are rehabbed with great photos and everything like, yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot of offers. It's going to be really tough, but if you do a little bit of due diligence on some of these, these diamonds in the rough, you can you can find a deal and yeah it's interesting on the one kind of down the down the road that just sold um yeah i had noticed whenever we were looking at this that the one next door had already been it sold like a few months ago or whatever before and it had been redone which is obviously a nice sign that uh that, you know that, that flippers and investors are coming into the neighborhood but i had noticed that the the, uh, the company or the, the person that had flipped the one three months prior to buying mine bought two, actually owned two on this street. And the other one was still very rough, hadn't been done yet. So I, I had a thesis. I was like, I know they're not just sitting on that. Like they're going to, they're going to do something with that. And then, yeah, here we are a couple months later and they finally, they finally came in here and, and, uh, and flipped that. I did not think it would, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, the market is, is nuts right now. There's no way to predict the future on appreciation and mm -hmm. um, some of those things. But um, yeah, I had a, I had a theory though, that they were going to come in and try to flip that and sell that. Well, it worked. Your theory worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. it, it sure <laughs> blind, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know that the guy selling it had any idea it was going to sell that high, but still no. it, it worked out really well for you um so you know i like to ask ask question of is there anything you would do differently or something you would avoid if you did did the same things you're doing now again so you've done a few real estate deals 
Are there any lessons you've learned or things you would do differently on the next deal? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think running the, well, actually the, yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, just no matter what, and this hasn't been a learning, just more of a, the positive side of my experience is just have a great realtor. I mean, the realtor's there to help you, especially someone like me, that's a little more green. It's like your realtor is almost your, your most valuable asset. Your realtor's here to protect you and advocate for you. Um, so making sure that your interests are, are aligned and that you have someone who can really go to bat and, and find you exactly what you're looking for. I mean, I think that's, that's been huge. Um, yeah, I think running the numbers, learning how to run the numbers on deals, there's so many factors and, and, you know, a couple of things can change the outlook of a deal. You got to make sure that you run the numbers the right way. And I think making sure that, you know, you allow whatever it is, 10%, uh, you know, for capital expenditures, give yourself a buffer, pump up the rehab more than you, no matter, you know, no matter what, how many bids you have, or what you think it's really going to be like, be conservative on the numbers and make sure that the deal works even in the, in the most conservative scenario. Um, property taxes is another one. Property taxes basically always go up like running the numbers with, uh, with next year's taxes, et cetera. Um, that's the one thing I would call out. It's like, make sure that you're not, um, viewing a deal through, uh, Taylor colored glasses here, you know, rose color, rose colored glasses. Mm. Yeah, that's a good, great. And the property tax thing is a, a great reminder for people. Um, make sure you're, you're expecting your property taxes to go up, but at the same time, also always make sure you're protesting your property taxes. When you're living in them, file that homestead exemption. You get a pretty mm -hmm. decent chunk taken out for living in the property. And that can be a great way to, keep your expenses down at least while you live there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll say the, actually the other, the other kind of revelation I had was just, you know, being able you know, your time is valuable and sometimes you want to do everything. You want to shop across lenders. You want to shop across insurance companies. It's like find a really good broker or someone that can help offload that for you, which kind of goes back to just having a great team but also just thinking through some of the things I, I mean, I, I had to furnish, not only, you know, rehab this place, but also furnish the other side and make sure that it actually looked presentable. And I had a great listing. Those are the things I had zero experience with. I mean, so I actually used things like Fiverr. I actually yeah. hired someone to, uh, like, uh, basically you tell them to give me a shopping list. Like I should, here's the space design this thing virtually tell me exactly what to buy. Like show me the, the you know, I had someone really? basically go through and virtually design the space. Cause I mean, you could do an interior designer, which is going to cost you an arm and a leg, just yeah. getting somebody local to come in here and, and decorate it. But I also, but I also knew that I'm not exactly um, HGTV like interior decorator. And so if I tried to do it all myself, it's probably going to look terrible. So somewhere in between I figured, okay, I'll use fiber and find someone um who can go through and with a keen eye and literally give me a shopping list and tell me what to buy and design the space so things like that and then also, i did the same thing for the welcome packet airbnb welcome packet i like i'm like i don't know how to like it's gonna be hideous yeah, uh, yeah. You, pay, you pay 10 20 bucks to somebody on fiverr 
that's already done it a, a thousand times um, to write a, uh, you know, give you a template for a welcome packet, things like that. That's awesome, man. This is such, so worth the money on those types of things. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not great at decorating. I'm not great at putting those detail oriented things together. It's just not my strength. Um, yeah. And if I, it's not just the time saved I found on stuff like that, the time saved is that they're probably going to do a much better job. And then if it's something that's mentally difficult for you, like something like that would be for me, it just frees you up so much to go do stuff that you're good at. And it's easy for you. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the same thing with photo. I mean, I hired a photographer mm-hmm. that costs what, I mean, maybe you pay somebody a hundred bucks to come in and actually take professional photos. I mean, that's the, we just talked about it on the house that we bought. I mean, that's sort of the difference in terms of getting a lot of eyeballs and getting zero eyeballs is just the photos on the listing. I even, I even, yeah, speaking of Fiverr, like I had somebody review my listing, you know, someone that knew all of the optimizations, the algorithm, how to the search trends, all of that stuff. Again, I mean, Airbnb, I've got basically zero experience. And so just having someone review it and say, all right, here's what you need to do. Here's how you get optimized in the search results, things like that. Really high ROI on that. That's awesome. I'm writing that down and I'm going to do that later. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. That's new for me. I didn't know you could pay somebody to review your listing. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I also recently learned, so I'm, I've been doing some Airbnb for a while, but I dropped it for a few years while I didn't have a property that worked well for it. We're doing it again mm-hmm. um, more recently but I, I've learned that you can have friends and family go to your listing and favorite it. And that will drive your, your ratings up too. So we've been sending it to all our friends and family and posting it on social media and just having people drive the, the ratings up for a little while, the, the traffic to your listing. I just heard about this. That's funny that you say that. Yeah. yeah. Somebody just told me about, actually my, my handyman just told me about that. Really? <laughs> Speaking of, I'm a good handyman. That's been huge. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah there's so many ways and i know everybody says well you know i don't know how to do that but there's so many people that you can bring into your life that make all this stuff easier i don't know how to do a lot of stuff but i know a lot of people that know how to do a lot of stuff so it's easy just to, to leverage other people and do what that's you're that. good at and just let them do what they're great at so yeah totally don't have to know how to do everything so on that thought, what's one thing you think newer investors should know before they get started? So obviously you just jumped in, you've got a single family college rental, you've got some land, you've got a duplex house hack in Austin now. Um, if somebody's stuck in analysis paralysis or they're thinking about getting into real estate investing, what's one thing you'd tell them? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. I would start looking at deal. I mean, I would start running the numbers on deals. That's that's one thing that helped me just get in the flow. Um, 
that and know your market, know, know what you want. So kind of, I just, it just baby steps here. It's like identify, okay, I want to get into real estate. Um, for example, in my, in a college town or, or what, you know, I want to get a single family home, whatever it is, define what you want and then start, I mean, set up a search on Zillow, start looking at the listings that are coming available and just run the numbers. I mean, there's great, um, resources out there for that. And you don't have to spreadsheet it. I thought, Oh, I've got to figure out how to create a really complicated spreadsheet to like analyze if a deal makes sense. And that's totally not true. I, I think bigger pockets has something, but there's also mm -hmm. apps out there that'll just, you punch in the address, it'll do 50% of the math for you. Oh. Um, pull up comps and things like that. Um, yeah, I think I've used, what is it? Deal check, deal check.io or something like that. I like that one, but just getting in the flow of looking at them and understanding which ones work and which ones don't that way, you, you know, whenever you see something you're, you're going to know if you've looked at a hundred of these, you'll know which ones are a good deal and that are worth your time. And then, like I said, have a great realtor who's on the same page as you so that you've got you've got everything locked and loaded. You've got, you've already talked to a lender and you can just go. And I just think, I mean, you and I made a lot of offers. Don't, don't think that if you, you know, you're going to make an offer and it's going to get accepted and you're in, mm. you know, find a realtor who's not afraid to make offers and start making a lot of them on a lot of deals that make sense. Yeah, no, it's totally a numbers game on the, on that side too. So I think you have to get in the right mindset that you're not going to win every offer. And it's yeah. okay if you lose offers because, I mean, same thing is in sales. Every no is closer to a yes. It's the same thing with offers when you're making offers on houses. Every time you get told no, we're not going to accept that. But you should get excited because that's one step closer to getting one. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, there, especially as an FHA buyer, I mean, if you're going to go yeah. house hack, I thought, man, in Austin house, you know, FHA, the, these offers are going to get thrown directly into the trash. I'm never going to get a house. Yeah. But the reality is that, especially if you've got a good realtor and you know which, which levers to pull on, you can still make an FHA offer very attractive, mm -hmm. specifically whenever, I mean, I think for us, you know, the seller wanted to close by a certain date and, and things like that. I mean, there, there's, other, there's other things you can do outside of the price um, to, to make it make sense for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so important. A lot, I think a lot of people are told that, hey, you can't buy, you can't buy the FHA in this market, or you, you know, don't try to house hack. It's 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 possible to do right now. Um, just because something is hard doesn't mean it's impossible. And it's so easy to get discouraged because just what people say or you read literally every article anymore is some sort of clickbait headline. If you just read the headlines, you're, you're immediately discouraged. But the reality is anything worth doing is probably going to be a little difficult. Yeah. And you can absolutely still, in your case, house hack a duplex with an FHA loan in the Austin area. Um, every duplex I've ever purchased was through an FHA loan. So yeah, you can do it. Awesome. Uh, Taylor, what's next for you? What are your long-term goals? What's your vision for real estate for yourself in the future? 
Yeah. I mean, for me, it's keep learning. It's funny. I, I technically bought this one in December. I figured I thought I was not, you know, I thought it'd be 2022 when I closed on this one, my goal for 20 for 22 was go get a duplex. Mm -hmm. Um, so here I am. I mean, I'm actually very intrigued with multifamily. Now I'm starting to see the power of, of multifamily. And so that's where I go. Okay. You know, what's, what's next. I've learned a lot. How can I keep learning and challenging myself? And I think that, you know, multi multifamily, maybe getting a fourplex, or maybe it's as simple as doing another duplex, you know, and then I've got two and that can compound on itself. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, continue to, to, to nurture this one and make sure this one goes smoothly and then go get the next one. And then maybe somewhere in between, look at a, a, a fourplex or, or something like that and continue to scale up that way. I mean, I don't think it's a race, but, um, you know, I think that once you do a couple of these, it's like, man, this is really fun. How do I go to the, how do I go to the next level now? Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, yeah. As I think, and, may, and maybe it's actively, you know, doing some multifamily or passively. Like I know you're doing some syndication stuff, like maybe it's something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that going um, a little bit bigger through, through multifamily is probably what, what's next for me. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, and I like what you said there. It's not a race because real estate can be really slow and boring, but it's absolutely yeah. very predictable and a reliable way to, to build wealth and grow passive income. If you get caught up in it happening right now, it gets frustrating because it doesn't, yeah. doesn't happen right away. So I, I started investing in 2016 myself. I didn't start seeing great cash flow until a few years after that. Um, and I, I made some, some choices on the deals that I bought where the cash flow wasn't great, but the equity built up amazingly over time too. And I was able to use that equity and reinvest later on. So, you know, your years one, two, three, and four weren't amazing, but year five and six, I've been able to redeploy that capital and, and get great returns on it to such a larger chunk. So exactly. absolutely slow and boring. It's really predictable. Yeah. That's okay with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard to, you get lost in the days and you forget that it takes the years sometimes. Right. right. Awesome. Um, do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? I'm going to sound like a broken record here because I've been listening to your podcast, but Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, it's funny. I, um, I hadn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad until, I don't know, might have been this year or la end of last year. And my partner, my buddy on that Lubbock house also hadn't read it. And he read it and was like, dude, have we not read that? You have to read this. And I listened to the audiobook, and I was like, yeah, how haven't I read this? This is uh, it's just for whatever reason. But uh, I, I just think it's the perfect kind of foundational book. I mean, if it's real estate investing or just mindset or investing in general, I just think that's a book that I can hand to someone and say, you know, that this is just foundationally um, a great way to start um, or a great mindset to have. And yeah. then I know that I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember her name that was on, but she stole, she stole mine. She said that. And then also um, never split the difference, which is also one of my favorites. That's a great book too. Yeah. Chris yeah. Voss, never split the yeah. difference. Really uh, fascinating. 
There's so many. Yeah, there's just so many good books. A lot of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, somebody called them the Purple Book series. Mm-hmm. But just that whole series is really good, too, for anybody listening to check out. They've got a book for almost anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Cash Flow Co- Quadrant, which is the, uh, the kind of the sequel to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is absolutely a great next step. But they've got books for kids. They've got books for corporations, taxes, more yeah. real estate, all sorts of stuff. Really good stuff. Love it. Taylor, what is the best way people can get a hold of you or follow you? Man, the good thing is there's not, uh, I'm the only Taylor Punch I've ever seen in the world. So you <laughs> type my name in, you're probably, it's probably going to be me. I'm not super active on social, honestly. <laughs> you know, it's funny, probably the, <laughs> the most active or the easiest way to reach me is probably on LinkedIn. Pretty active oh, on cool. LinkedIn. But um, yeah, feel free to, to reach out. I mean, I, it's, you've got a lot of awesome people that come on here. A lot of people with a lot of experience. And then me, I'm a little, I'm a little greener. It's really cool what you're doing that you've got a really unique mix of more experienced and then newer investors. Um, so I don't have all the answers and I'm still figuring it out. So, I mean, if there's anybody out there that's just trying to get started or thinks that you can't do it, um, that was me basically January 1st, 2021. Um, and I, I, I was at least able to get this far. So you know, ha- happy to connect or answer any questions or help however I can. Awesome. Yeah. We'll put all Taylor's contact info in the show notes for everyone. Um, but it's Taylor punch. And I want to make sure we spell that for people. Punch is P U N T C H. Yep. So connect with him on LinkedIn and he'll absolutely answer your messages. Last question. Most important question we ask here, Taylor, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? And I got to give Northwest Austin some love here. I, I'm tired of hearing, you know, everyone says go to Franklin's or, you know, that all that stuff downtown. Shout out Northwest Austin, Interstellar Barbecue. Yeah. Very, very underrated. Actually, I don't, even, I don't even think I can say underrated anymore. I think they're like number two on Texas Monthly's top barbecue restaurants now. But yeah, Interstellar, great barbecue joint here in uh, Northwest Austin actually never gone i've tried to tried to go and they were closed um how is it getting in there not bad i went for lunch the other day it's you know you'll you'll probably wait there's a line you don't have to bring your bloody mary's and pickup truck to tailgate though the way you know like franklin's you're not going to be there all day so you know maybe maybe 30 minutes um depending on when you go now maybe if you go on the weekend it could get could get packed but um Best barbecue in Austin that's actually accessible. <laughs> actually accessible. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, Interstellar Barbecue, I've heard great things. Yeah. You need to make it up there. A trick that I've found for getting these barbecue places that are just enormously hard to get to and have these big lines is just get some buddies together and order takeout. You know, they usually oh, yeah. have a minimum, but if you ordered $100 worth of takeout, you just walk right up. That's how I got Franklin's. I never stood in that that's line. That's true. That's true. That is the cheat code. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here, Taylor. And if anybody needs Taylor, reach out to him on LinkedIn, LinkedIn at Taylor Punch. Cool. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, man. Good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on.